Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. It was always people that knew each other or friends or something. Their, their house would burn all of a sudden. Every time she's there within a couple miles from where the fire started, everyone knew who did it. And nobody would do anything. Everybody was afraid their house would go next. It was just like she was Satan herself. At 3.30 a.m., the phone rings at the home of Penny Smith and startles her awake. Her sister Kathy's house is on fire, and no one is sure if Kathy made it out alive. As Penny rushes to the scene, she believes she knows who's behind the fire. And if she's right, a diabolical arsonist who's been lurking in plain sight might have just committed murder. And there's no way to know who's next. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Fatal Fire. It's early in the morning on November 9th, 2007, when Kathy Bluntlinger's sister, Penny Smith, gets the devastating news. About 3.38 in the morning, I guess it was, I got a phone call from my sister, Jody. She says, Kathy's house is on fire and they don't know if she made it out. And I said, sis, I said, I'll be there just as quick as I can get there. And I told her on the phone, I said, don't worry yet because Kathy's not supposed to be home. She's supposed to be staying all night with this friend. I called my brother, Monty. I told him what was happening. I got a call at about quarter after four in the morning from Penny. She said, Kathy's house is on fire. Penny's brother, Monty, is the oldest sibling in the Grover family. When I got to the fire scene, my younger sister, Jody, came running to me and was crying. And I stopped and I held her for about five, ten minutes. And she just couldn't get her composure. She told me, she said, she didn't get out. Said she couldn't get the door open, couldn't get the windows open. She was just surrounded by the flames. Kathy's death was caused by a house fire and smoke inhalation. They had found an accelerant, which was gasoline, and declared it arson and homicide. She was 34 when she died. 
we were just devastated. I mean, absolutely devastated. I had every possible negative emotion going through my mind at one time. It was, it was just constant disbelief, sadness, anger, and not knowing how could someone do this? How could someone do this to her? To anyone, let alone just her. It was a devastating blow. Located between Chicago and St. Louis, Mount Sterling, Illinois is typical small-town America. This is where Kathy Grover Blentlinger lived most of her tragically shortened life. It's a very small town. Everyone's related, I think. My uh, family tree only forked once. It's so small, but it'll take you 15 minutes to get down two blocks just because of people stopping and talking. Mom and dad, they had eight children, and I just was lucky enough to be the first. And then I got a brother named Tom, who he was next, and then a brother named Greg. Then I've got a sister named Penny, and a sister named Jody, a sister named Kathy. Kathy and I were so close. I never realized how dependent we were on one another until she was gone. Kathy and I did everything together. She loved to have fun. She loved her family. Kathy was just a very unique individual, and she was actually my very best friend. Kathy was just a typical little country farm girl who uh, was very prissy, a little blonde girl with blue eyes, and had to have everything just right for her because <laughs> she was kind of a nervous sort. But Kathy was very social, very easy to get along with. What people need to understand about Kathy is she was a very trusting and naive young girl. She trusted everyone. At the time of her death, Kathy is a single mom, raising an eight-year-old and studying to become a medical assistant. She was married and getting a divorce at that time. Had a little boy. And the night that the fire happened, the little boy did not have to be home. He was staying with his dad that night. Kathy was a loving person. She babysat and took care of majority of children in Mount Sterling during her life. Everyone loved her. She would do anything for anyone. Two of the children Kathy often takes care of are the young son and daughter of her sister-in-law, Susie who is seven years younger than Kathy. Susie is married to Kathy's younger brother, and they share a love of Susie's children. Kathy and Susie's relationship for a period of time was pretty good. Kathy would always take care of their daughter, you know, and be there for their daughter and stuff while they were working and so forth. And Susie just became a different person. She became very, very jealous of Kathy. Susie's jealousy seems to begin when Kathy's son is born. After complications with her pregnancy, Kathy nearly dies, and as a result, she receives a lot of attention from family and friends. Susie becomes resentful, and as Kathy recovers, tensions grow. It's during this time that a strange epidemic starts to plague Mount Sterling, a series of unexplained fires. All of a sudden, uh, fires started springing up not just in Mount Sterling, but also within uh, about a 20-mile radius. I think there's about like 23 fires they had 
And it was always people that knew each other or friends or something. Their, their house would burn all of a sudden. Nobody would know how it was done or what. The fires that were happening around the area, it was really just devastating. I mean, you didn't go but just a few days maybe and hear of another one and another one and another one. And you knew a lot of the people who was affected by these fires. It just kept going on and on and on. Everything was catching fire. Most of the fires appear to be connected to people in Susie's life. Monty first becomes suspicious when tragedy strikes at the home Susie shares with his younger brother. The apartment they were living in caught on fire. And I heard the fire department and went on up because I am a paramedic and I uh, wanted to check and just make sure everything was okay. And when I got down there, Susie was wild and hysterical and says, I think I'm cursed. I said, what's going on? She says, we were asleep and the place caught on fire. And then I found out that she had a history. Her mom and dad's house was seriously caught on fire and burned down. Susie's sister's home caught on fire. Her neighbor's garage caught on fire. Her car caught on fire. A babysitter's truck caught on fire. Many, many, many friends' homes caught fire. This girl's name kept popping up. She had been there or she was just there within a couple miles. Found out that every once in a while she'd run into somebody and they'd just get into a little tiff. And all of a sudden these houses started catching on fire, the people that she was having problems with. It finally got to the place where the whole town, Mount Sterling, would step off the curb to let her pass. Extremely scared of what was going to happen next. The rash of fires coincides with the increasing conflict between Kathy and Susie. Kathy tries to manage the rocky relationship as best she can, while also dealing with ongoing medical issues. She relies on painkillers to get her through the day, and on more than one occasion, she notices that some of her medicine is mysteriously missing. Kathy would constantly say, my medications are gone. I have no medicine. I started kind of putting a connection together that I believe Susie was involved in taking these medications because that was the only common denominator. To confirm her suspicion that Susie is behind the disappearance of her painkillers, Kathy enlists the help of the police, and together they devise a plan to catch Susie in the act when Kathy isn't home. Susie had talked to Kathy about borrowing her vacuum cleaner. So they set it up for a time for Susie to be at the house. They put in cameras in Kathy's house, in the bedroom, pointed at where the medicine was and went with the police and they sat across the street in a van and they were watching all the, the video. And sure as anything, here, here comes Susie. And Susie had gone right past the vacuum cleaner, right to the place where Kathy's medications were. Susie unloaded the medicine into her pockets and the final thing she did was she put the lid back on the bottle. She went and got a rag and wiped her fingerprints off. And police were sitting there with Kathy watching all this. Susie is arrested for stealing Kathy's medication, but is sentenced to only two days in jail and probation. She's furious with Kathy for setting up the sting operation and makes it clear that she's out for revenge. 
Susie told me that she would not stop until Kathy lost everything that she had, including her husband, and got everything she deserved. And from that time forward, it was even worse. And I mean, Kathy couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't do anything without Susie harassing her or trying to hurt her. And I would always put myself between Susie and Kathy, make sure Kathy was safe and Susie wasn't going to do anything. So this one particular instance, somehow, I don't know how she got to her, but she came over knowing Kathy had hip replacements, hooked her leg in between Kathy's legs and hyperextended her hip and put her on the ground. And when I saw what was happening, I saw Kathy down, We got her up. We walked right down to the police station and tried to press charges. Susie's cruelty toward her sister-in-law continues unchecked. In one instance, Kathy finds herself alone with Susie, who becomes violent. Susie literally beat my sister, Kathy. Susie got her to the ground, laid Kathy on her back. She straddled her, put her knees down around her arms so she couldn't move and beat her face. She had a lot of injuries. Susie faces no repercussions for the assault. We went to the city police. We went to the county police. We went to the state's attorney and we went to the judge. The city police said, we're doing what we can. The county police says, we really don't know what we can do. The state's attorney shrugged his shoulders at me. And the judge of the town said, one of you need to move out of state. It just kept growing from there. It just got closer and closer and closer. And Kathy was afraid. She was scared. She asked me, she said, Monty, don't let her burn me up. I told her, I said, Kathy, I won't. You just tell me when you are a little bit afraid, you give me a call. I'll be there. I'll sleep on your couch. And I said, she'll never make it through the door. My sister Kathy was terrified of Susie. And that's why I would always try to go out with her or go anywhere with her to make sure that she didn't do anything because I did not fear Susie like other people did. Kathy had made this statement many times. She's going to burn my house down and she's going to kill me. On the night of November 8th, 2007, Kathy has just finished a class at Vaderot College in Quincy, Illinois when a friend invites her to stop by the local bar and grill for a late dinner. Since her son is spending the night with his father, Kathy agrees. When they arrive, Susie is there too. There were many people in there, and people were buying drinks, buying rounds for people, and Kathy was included in that. But they were not buying drinks for Susie, which upset Susie. Kathy, I know she was up there dancing and having a great time. Her and Susie got into it, and Kathy just went home, went to bed. Not never thought anything more of it. After Kathy falls asleep, someone sneaks behind her house, splashes gasoline into the back entrance, and tosses a match into the liquid fuel. Kathy must have woken up to smoke and flames filling the house and tried to escape. Kathy barely made it to the window couldn't get it open and she collapsed right there on the floor right at the foot of her bed he said her lungs were full of smoke and a lot of poisonous gases in there from being such an old house 
the best thing about it is they said she probably didn't suffer any. She just had a good lung full and that was it. Searching through the burnt remains of Kathy's home, investigators find chilling evidence that the fire was carefully planned to ensure maximum damage. They got to investigate in the house and I'll be darned, someone had removed the smoke alarm before the fire was set. There was a hole in the wall, in the plaster and in the wood, you could tell where it had been pried out of the wall. So she had no warning, no way of knowing. That was surely a planned situation. And then that night, poured gasoline in, set it afire, didn't have a chance. Old house went up like matchsticks. It was just gut-wrenching. I didn't have to go in. I didn't have to get close. I already knew what was going on. I knew who done it. I knew what happened. It was just so obvious. There was a time that I actually looked Susie in the eye and I told her to her face, I know you started this fire and I know you killed her. The only reaction that I got was a shrug of the shoulders. If everybody knows who did it, why isn't this person behind bars? Raja Maples is a television journalist who has covered Kathy's story for 13 years. In covering the Kathy Bluntlinger case, my crew and I ended up talking with probably a little more than 20 people, both on and off the record. Our takeaway was one sentence. They said, we think we know who did it. She told people before she died that she was scared of dying in a fire. She told someone, if somebody kills me, go look for this person. That happened just weeks before. I don't know why she said that, but she did. She was very fearful. As the police investigation drags on, Raja decides to interview the state's attorney about the case. Arson cases are among the most difficult to prove because of the destruction of evidence. And so, you know, I said, do you think this case will ever go before a grand jury? And he said, yes, if we get to the point where I have enough evidence, definitely. We're trying to solidify a case a little more to present to the grand jury. Here's the kicker. When I asked, has a person or persons of interest been identified? He answered, we have had leads and they have been followed up on. At this point, I would hesitate to say suspects are persons of interest. So I don't know if I have to read between the lines with that one. What I mean by that, was he scared of her? I even considered, believe it or not, not doing the story because I was told to watch my back. And when I asked what they meant by that, they said, the person who did this sets fires to people who make her mad. And I wouldn't put it past her to come after you. Well, I didn't forget that. I thought of it at night as I was falling asleep. I would thought of it, you know, when I was working on it. It caused me to think twice about even doing that story because she could have come after me. From what people tell me, there were some mental health issues. I know what can happen when there are people with mental health issues and when they get someone in their target, I would be scared to death.
shopping can be a lot of fun, right? But you know what else is fun? Saving money. And Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop. Get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every single category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, travel, dining, and so much more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores, so why not be saving while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Shop brands like Macy's, Blue Mercury, Petco, Nike, Urban Outfitters, Neiman Marcus, and so much more. Here's how it works. The stores pay Rakuten a commission for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the commission with its members. You get paid via check or PayPal quarterly. Maximize your savings by stacking cash back on top of other deals like store sales and coupons. Rakuten has 17 million members who are already saving. Why not join them? Membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Cashback rates change daily. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app and start saving today. Your cashback really adds up with Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. The state's attorney gets another visit, this time from Kathy's brother, Monty, who pleads for justice and closure. If they didn't have a eyewitness, they said they couldn't guarantee prosecution. And then she would get off. You know, if she was acquitted, then he couldn't try her again. But he looked me in the eye when he was done. And he said, you know, this is a small town. It's a small county. We don't have a lot of money. He said, it'll cost a million dollars to try this case. And he says, I'm sorry, but they don't have a million dollars. It all come back to money and politics. It is extremely expensive to prosecute a murder case. On top of that, if the defendant is found not guilty, that person can end up suing the city and the county for wrongdoing. I got so tired of hearing circumstantial evidence. Every time you turn around, oh, that's circumstantial, that's circumstantial. You have a town of 2,800 people. Everyone knows everything about everything until it really matters. It became fear. It became a lot of fear with the people. No one wanted to upset her and fear something would burn because every time she would get angry, something burned. I do not feel like my life was in danger because I wasn't as trusting of a person as what Kathy was. I do know that I can take care of myself, but Susie did not ever threaten me because I would not have tolerated it. As months pass, Kathy's family and locals in the town of Mount Sterling 
notice something has changed. After Kathy's death, all the fires seemed to mysteriously stop. And if you did see a fire start, somebody would be back there, you could stop and they'd say, they'd say, do you need any help? They'd say, no, we'll have it out in a minute while they're fanning it with their hat. Nothing big happened again. That was the first person that had died in a fire in that area. And that was the last person that died in a fire in that area. After Kathy's death, Susie's life takes a dark turn. To those around her, she appears anxious and troubled, as if harboring a guilty secret. Susie began drinking so, so intensely. It was nothing for her to have a bottle of vodka a day, maybe more. And it finally came to the point that she was told, you know, if you have another drink, it can kill you. And I guess she didn't heed it. She had uh, cirrhosis of the liver, drank her liver hard. There's guilt in there somewhere. Susie passes away in August of 2017 at the age of 36. Monty and Penny are left with many unanswered questions and the ongoing pain of losing their sister, Kathy. I was hoping to be able to get a final conversation with Susie about the night of the fire during the last part of Susie's life so that I could maybe get her to come clean so that she could pass with a clear conscience and know that she could be forgiven. But I never did get that chance. I see the Kathy Blentlinger case as being three unsolved mysteries into one case. A, the unsolved mystery of who set this fire? We don't officially know. B, the unsolved mystery of if we do think we know who set the fire, why was that person never prosecuted? And C, are there more people involved who are still living and know important information that would crack this case? I do not believe Susie acted alone. I believe there are more people involved in this because somebody doesn't have to strike a match. Someone can be a lookout. So there are two other people that I'm looking at. And if anybody's got information, I would love to hear it. I'm pretty darn sure that Susie did not act alone. She had some help. She had this little girl gang of hers that where one was, you'd see the rest of them, or whenever a fire would start up, every one of them would disappear, except for Susie, who would come back and watch it bake. I tried everything in my power I could to try to protect my sister. And at this time, I just feel so devastated because I wasn't able to protect her and keep her safe. And I'm very upset that we cannot get the rest of the answers that we are searching for to try to find some closure in this case and to try to heal our hearts and our minds. So many people loved Kathy and Kathy was a beautiful girl. She was very smart, very funny, very caring and very loving. I miss her laugh. I miss her smell. I miss her hugs. I miss our conversations. I miss the middle of the night phone calls when she's going through something, seeing my eyes are leaking again. And I'd say, it's okay, sis, we'll dry them up. It's the little things, just being together all the time. I miss everything about her. I miss the family get-togethers because I'd 
teaser. I'd goad her right to, right to the point. I could push her buttons and she could turn around and do the same thing. And I always enjoyed that. It has been 13 years since my sister's fire and homicide. I'm very hopeful that it will eventually get solved. I might have to make a lot of noise. It's really important that we get closure because you don't want to wonder for the rest of your life. I vowed until I take my last breath, I will never stop fighting to try to get it solved. If you have any information about the murder of Kathy Blentlinger in Mount Sterling, Illinois, go to unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. She experienced these attacks just as if someone was physically beating her constantly while onlookers would be either mystified or horrified that they would see bruises appear on her with no obvious material cause. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Muir Productions and Cadence 13. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmuir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Christine Lenick, Courtney Ennis, Paige Heimson, and Paul Yates. The story producer for this episode was Cynthia Bowles, and it was edited by Paul Yates. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil, Andy Jaskowitz, and Bill Schultz. Production support by Sean Cherry and Ian Mont. Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 17 of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs>